The following recording is a continuation of The Treasury of David by Charles Spurgeon. This commentary is on Psalm 106. This is verse 34. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. They were commissioned to act as executioners upon races condemned for their unnatural crimes, and through sloth, cowardice, or sinful complacency, they sheathed the sword too soon, very much to their own danger and disquietude. It is a great evil with professors that they are not zealous for the total destruction of all sin within and without. We make alliances of peace where we ought to proclaim war to the knife. We plead our constitutional temperament, our previous habits, the necessity of our circumstances, or some other evil excuse as an apology for being content with a very partial sanctification, if indeed it be sanctification at all. We are slow also to rebuke sin in others, and are ready to spare respectable sins, which, like Agag, walk with mincing steps. The measure of our destruction of sin is not to be our inclination or the habit of others, but the Lord's command. We have no warrant for dealing leniently with any sin, be it what it may. Verse 35. But were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. It was not the wilderness which caused Israel's sins. They were just as disobedient when settled in the land of promise. They found evil company and delighted in it. Those whom they should have destroyed, they made their friends. Having enough faults of their own, they were ready to go to school to the filthy Canaanites and educate themselves still more in the arts of iniquity. It was certain that they could learn no good from men whom the Lord had condemned to utter destruction. Few would wish to go to the condemned cell for learning, Yet Israel sat at the feet of a cursed Canaan, and rose up proficient in every abomination. This, too, is a grievous but common error among professors. They court worldly company and copy worldly fashions, and yet it is their calling to bear witness against these things. None can tell what evil has come of the folly of worldly conformity. Verse 36 and they served their idols, which were a snare to them. They were fascinated by the charms of idolatry, though it brings misery upon its votaries. A man cannot serve sin without being ensnared by it. It is like bird lime, and to touch it is to be taken by it. Samson laid his head in a Philistine woman's lap, but ere long he woke up shorn of his strength. Dalliance with sin is fatal to spiritual liberty. Verse 37. Yea, they sacrifice their sons and their daughters to devils. This is being snared indeed. They were spellbound by the cruel superstition and were carried so far as even to become murderers of their own children in honor of the most detestable deities, which were rather devils than gods and shed innocent blood. The poor little ones whom they put to death and sacrifice had not been partakers of their sin, 
and God looked with the utmost indignation upon the murder of the innocent. Even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, who knows how far evil will go. It drove men to be unnatural as well as ungodly. Had they but thought for a moment, they must have seen that a deity who could be pleased with the blood of babes by their own sires could not be a deity at all, but must be a demon, worthy to be detested and not adored. How could they prefer such service to that of Jehovah? Did he tear their babes from their bosoms and smile at their death throes? Men will sooner wear the iron yoke of Satan and carry the pleasant burden of the Lord. Does not this prove to a demonstration a deep depravity of their hearts? If man be not totally depraved, what worse would he do if he were? If the land was polluted with blood, the promised land, the holy land, which was the glory of all lands, for God was there, was defiled with the reeking gore of innocent babes, and by the blood-red hands of their parents, who slew them in order to pay homage to devils. Alas, alas, what vexation was this to the Spirit of the Lord? Verse 39. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went to whoring with their own inventions. Not only the land, but the inhabitants of it were polluted. They broke the marriage bond between them and the Lord, and fell into spiritual adultery. The language is strong, but the offense could not be fitly described in less forcible words. As a husband is deeply dishonored and sorely wounded, should his wife become unchaste and run riot with many paramours in his own house, so was the Lord incensed at his people for setting up gods, many, and lords, many, in his own land. They made and invented new gods, and then worshipped what they had made. What a folly! Their novel deities were loathsome monsters and cruel demons, and yet they paid them homage. What wickedness! And to commit this folly and wickedness, they cast off the true God, whose miracles they had seen and whose people they were. This was a provocation of the severest sort. Verse 40. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, and so much that he abhorred his own inheritance. Not that even then he broke his covenant or utterly cast off his offending people, but he felt the deepest indignation and even looked upon them with abhorrence. The feeling described is like to that of a husband who still loves his guilty wife, and yet when he thinks of her lewdness, feels his whole nature rising in righteous anger at her, so that the very sight of her afflicts his soul. How far the divine wrath can burn against those whom he yet loves in his heart, it were hard to say. But certainly Israel pushed the experiment to the extreme, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen. This is a manifestation of his abhorrence. He gave them a taste of the result of sin. They spared the heathen, mixed with them, and imitated them, and soon they had to smart from them, for hordes of invaders were let loose upon them to spoil them at their pleasure. 
Men make rods for their own backs. Their own inventions become their punishments. And they that hated them ruled over them. And who could wonder? Sin never creates true love. They joined the heathen in their wickedness. And they did not win their hearts, but rather provoked their contempt. If we mix with them of the world, they will soon become our masters and our tyrants, and we cannot want worse. Verse 42. Their enemies also oppressed them. This is according to their nature. An Israelite always fares ill at the hands of the heathen. Leniency to Canaan turned out to be cruelty to themselves. And they were brought into subjection under their hand. They were bowed down by laborious bondage and made to lie low under tyranny. In their God they had found a kind master, but in those with whom they had perversely sought fellowship, they found despots of the most barbarous sort. He who leaves his God leaves happiness for misery. God can make our enemies to be rods in his hands to flog us back to our best friend. Verse 43. Many times did he deliver them. By reading the book of Judges, we shall see how truthful is this sentence again and again. Their foes were routed, and they were set free again, only to return with rigor to their formal evil ways. But they provoked him with their counsel. With deliberation, they agreed to transgress anew. Self-will was their counselor, and they followed it to their own destruction, and were brought low for their iniquity. Worse and worse were the evils brought upon them. Lower and lower they fell in sin, and consequently in sorrow. In dens and caves of the earth they hid themselves. They were deprived of all warlike weapons and were utterly despised by their conquerors. They were rather a race of serfs than a free man, until the Lord in mercy raised them up again. Could we but fully know the horrors of the wars which desolated Palestine and the ravages which caused famine and starvation, we should shudder at the sins which were thus rebuked deeply ingrained in their nature, must the sin of idolatry have been, or they would not have returned to it with such persistence in the teeth of such penalties. We need not marvel at this. There is a still greater wonder. Man prefers sin and hell to heaven and God. The lesson to ourselves as God's people is to walk humbly and carefully before the Lord, and above all, to keep ourselves from idols. Woe unto those who become partakers of Rome's idolatries, for they will be joined with her in her plagues. May grace be given to us to keep the separate path and remain undefiled with the fornication of the scarlet harlot of Babylon. Verse 44. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. Notwithstanding all these provoking rebellions and detestable enormities, the Lord still heard their prayer and pitied them. This is very wonderful, very godlike. One would have thought that the Lord would have shut out their prayer, and they had shut their ears against his admonitions. But no, 
He had a father's heart, and a sight of their sorrows touched his soul. The sound of their cries overcame his heart, and he looked upon them with compassion. His fiercest wrath towards his own people is only a temporary flame, but his love burns on forever like the light of his own immortality. Verse 45 And he remembered for them his covenant. The covenant is the sure foundation of mercy. And when the whole fabric of outward grace manifested in the saints lies in ruins, this is the fundamental basis of love which is never moved. And upon it the Lord proceeds to build again a new structure of grace. Covenant mercy is sure as the throne of God. And repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He did not carry out the destruction which he had commenced. Speaking after the manner of man, he changed his mind. It did not leave them to their enemies to be utterly cut off, because he saw that his covenant would in such a case have been broken. The Lord is so full of grace that he is not only mercy but mercies, yea, a multitude of them, and these live in the covenant and treasure up good for the erring sons of men. Verse 46. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Having the hearts of all men in his hands, he produced compassion even in heathen bosoms. Even as he had found Joseph friends in Egypt, so did he raise up sympathizers for his captive servants. In our very worst condition, our God has ways and means for allaying the severity of our sorrows. He can find his helpers among those who have been our oppressors and he will do so if we be indeed his people. Verse 47. This is a closing prayer, arranged by prophecy for those who would in future time be captives, and suitable for all who before David's days had been driven from home by the tyranny of the various scatterings by famine and distress, which had happened in the Iron Age of the Judges. Save us, O Lord our God, the mention of the covenant encouraged the afflicted to call the Lord their God. And this enabled them with greater boldness to entreat him to interpose on their behalf and rescue them and gather us from among the heathen. Weary now of the ungodly in their ways, they longed to be brought into their own separated country where they might again enjoy the means of grace, enter into holy fellowship with their brethren, escape from contaminating examples and be free to wait upon the Lord. How often do true believers nowadays long to be removed from ungodly households where their souls are vexed with the conversation of the wicked to give thanks to your holy name and to triumph in your praise. Weaned from idols, they desire to make mention of Jehovah's name alone and to ascribe their mercies to his ever-abiding faithfulness and love. The Lord had often saved them for his holy name's sake, and therefore they feel that when again restored they would render all their gratitude to that saving name. Yea, it should be their glory to praise Jehovah, and none else. Verse 48 Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Has not his mercy endured forever, and should not his praise be of like duration? Jehovah the God of Israel has blessed his people. Should they not also bless him?
and let all the people say, Amen. They have all been spared by His grace. Let them all join in the adoration with loud, unanimous voice. What a thunder of praise would thus be caused! Yet should a nation thus magnify Him, yea, should all the nations past and present unite in a solemn acclaim, it would fall far short of His deserts. O oh, for the happy day when all flesh shall see the glory of God, and shall aloud proclaim His praise!